Welcome to the Yellow Balloons podcast, a collection of teachings to help you navigate the transformational possibilities of a God-centered perspective. We pray these insights from Scripture will inspire and encourage you. We begin with a big-picture overview of the last several chapters of the book of Hebrews, and we explore the meaning behind the phrase, the fear of God. Elsewhere in Scripture, it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So understanding what is meant by fearing God is crucial for living a wise life. It affects our concept of God's love and informs our approach to pleasing Him. In light of this, we revisit the six betters and more ways to apply all of this to our daily behavior. Today we're going to cover really, or emphasize three things. Uh, The one is the fear of God. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. We've been talking about the fear of God in Hebrews 10, but we're going to continue to to, uh, delve into it. The second is uh, the love of God. The fear of God is immensely valuable to us because God loves us. Um, Satan has his version of fear. Uh, Gangsters have fear. The fear is used often in our society, but if if it doesn't have love behind it, it's not beneficial. It's just uh, tyranny. Uh, but God's, God's, since God has our best interest at heart, when we fear Him, it actually benefits us immensely. So the fear of God, the love of God, uh, and then the, our fulfillment. Our fulfillment comes when we please God. When we please God, we're fulfilling our design, and we are <clears throat> able to uh, become all that God has us to be. And that comes about, we please God, when we believe God. We believe what He says, and we do what He says. So, going back to the overall structure of Hebrews we proposed, we've got six betters, a word, and a word mixed with faith. We've got six betters, a better priest and a better king or a better son. Uh, Son being a title of nobility. So, we've got a better priest offering a better sacrifice under a better covenant or a better law. And we've got a better king or a better son uh, offering a better administration, which he wants to include us in, in a redeemed world, a better world. And that better world is the fulfillment of salvation. Salvation being uh, a holistic term that can apply to a specific thing, or a very broad thing, that being the earth being put back to its original intent, which is the focus and emphasis in the book of Hebrews. And particularly what God wants us to do is to uh, bring that fulfillment uh, into the world that we live on a daily basis. And we do that with the Word mixed with faith. Uh, We talked last week about the Word mixed with faith and how... That word mixed with faith is an example all through this book. We've got the uh, children of Israel in the wilderness who heard the word, but it didn't profit them because it wasn't mixed with faith. And as a result, they lost their inheritance. They lost their possession. They lost that which God had promised them, uh, but it was given up by them. And another... Who, who do we want to serve a God acceptably? Acceptably in whose mind? In whose eyes? God, His, yeah. Not, not, not ours, but His. With reverence and godly fear. For our God 
is a consuming fire. Let's rewind a little bit here and from God, mountain that may be touched and that burned with fire. Where did the fire on Mount Sinai come from? To blackness and darkness and tempest, sound of a trumpet, the voice of words. Whose words? God's. So that those who heard it begged that the word should not be spoken to them anymore. For they could not endure what was commanded. This is what was commanded. If so much as a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned or shot with an arrow. The command was to keep this mountain holy or sanctified. Don't touch the mountain. And so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I am exceedingly afraid and trembling. You've not come to the mountain that may be touched, that burn with fire. Our God is a consuming fire. Let's go to this episode. This episode happens in Exodus chapter 20. So let's go over to Exodus chapter 20. Look look at your uh, passage there in Exodus chapter 20. And tell me what basically is happening. You should be able to tell fairly easily with your headings and the indentions. The Ten Commandments are being given. Yeah, so here's the Ten Commandments. We've got Mount Sinai and the fire and all that sort of thing, and the Ten Commandments are being given. Now, why did God give the Ten uh, Fun Spoilers? Why did He do that? He just doesn't like us, right? Yeah, yeah, He's telling us how to live life in a way that's most beneficial to us. Okay? What happens in a family where the children honor their father and mother. What, ha- what is that family like? It's a pleasant family, right? What's a family like where the children don't do what the parents say, don't like the parents, contest the parents, fight the parents, maybe even, maybe even impose violence on the parents? Is that a fun place to be? What happens in a town where there's murder? Now, we've got this tragedy going on in uh, Connecticut. It's murder. And it's actually not honoring your father and mother. Is that making things happy? Okay, he's saying, don't do that. It's for your benefit. What happens when adultery takes place in a marriage? Does that make things happy? The children are happy? It blows it apart. It destroys community. How about when you have stealing going on all over the place? What do people do? They stop trusting. They stop interchange. If we, if you were in a, in a position where you knew that if you made any agreement with anyone else, they would not keep it, what kind of society does that make happen? There's no trading. There's no commerce. That will be a poor society. Uh, the United States of America is wealthy mainly for one reason, honesty. We have a disproportionately honest uh, culture. And because of that, people trade. We don't spend an immense amount of money on security. Uh, people don't. I mean, in the feudal system, in the Middle Ages, people spent almost all their money building walls and hiring armies because the Vikings were going to come down and take everything you had. This is a way to have prosperity, harmony, happiness. Don't covet your neighbor's house. 
Uh, what does jealousy do? Does jealousy and covetousness bring happiness? It brings misery. He's telling us all those things you said are, are, are true, but he's holding up for us how to live life constructively. As Paul says in Romans, there's nothing wrong with the law. The law is not at fault that we can't keep it. The law is a good thing. The problem is our hearts. That's the problem. And the law can't make our hearts better. That's why we needed a better law. Because this one doesn't fix things. But it's God elevating Israel to say, be a priestly nation and show the rest of the nations how to live constructively. So we go to verse 18. Now all the people... This is Exodus 20, 18. Now all the people witnessed the thunderings, the lightning flashes, the sound of the trumpet and the mountains smoking, and the people saw it and they trembled and stood far off. Then they said to Moses, you speak to us and we will hear, but let not God speak with us lest we die. And Moses said to the people, do not fear. Okay, so what's happening so far? Tell me what's happening So far, people see what's going on in the mountain and what's their response? They're afraid. Do you blame them? What are they afraid of? They're afraid that they are going to die. Now, this is a very interesting thing Moses says because he says, do not fear. Now, what would you expect someone to say next if they say, do not fear? What would you expect the next thing they would say? It's going to be all right. Yeah, you're okay. You're fine. Don't don't worry. And he says something basically just the opposite. He says, do not fear, for God has come to test you that his fear may be before you so that you won't sin. Pretty interesting, huh? Here's Here's my paraphrase of what he said. Don't fear dying. Everybody's going to die, and dying's not that big a deal. It's just walking through a door into another world. It's not that, it's not that bad. I mean, don't be stupid and walk on the mountain. But don't be afraid of dying. That's, that's not that big a deal. Be afraid of sinning. Now that is a scary thing. Why is sinning a scary thing? It destroys. It destroys your community. It destroys your family. It destroys you and your conscience. And you have to face God and be accountable for it. And He's trying to get your attention so that you won't sin. Now, why does God not want people to sin? Because adultery is fun and He's trying to spoil the fun? Because stealing is an easy way to get something and He's just trying to make life hard? No, He's trying to create a harmonious society harmonious families, and profitable lives. He's trying to get people's attention. And we need godly fear in order to understand. Don't be afraid of death. Be afraid of sinning. So let's go back to Hebrews again. Our God is a consuming fire. You know, fire is a very interesting thing. I did a lesson on this once. Um, Fire comes from light. Typically when we burn something to get fire, what we're doing is releasing sunlight that was captured during photosynthesis. So essentially fire is stored sunlight. And Jesus is the light of the world. 
We've studied this tabernacle and there's a light that's always burning in the tabernacle through the candle, representing the light of the world. Our God is a consuming fire. It's just packed with meaning. God is light. Uh, God is the refining fire. He's the purifier. We could, we could spend the whole rest of the time on that. But generally, I think in this particular context, the emphasis includes judgment. God is that that makes all things right. Because the whole world, the next time he speaks, it's going to burn up the whole universe. And he's going to restore the world into the uh, form that it should be. So you may not come to the mountain that may be touched. Verse 22, where have you come? You've come to Mount Zion. The city of the living God. The heavenly Jerusalem. And which one's more awesome? Mount Sinai out in the desert or Mount Zion in heaven? Which one's more awesome? Mount Zion. There's no, there's no contest. Listen to what Mount Zion's like. I mean, Mount Sinai was a big deal. There's smoke and trumpets and, and a voice of God. That's a big deal. It scared people to death. An innumerable company of angels. That's a little bigger deal than a trumpet. I, I don't know what that looks like, but I kind of see in my mind, uh, being in Reliant Stadium, I got to go to the Final Four game. I was down on the floor in the seats where they you know, uh, made it between the 50-yard line and where the seats normally are. There's 80,000 people in there, and you just look up, and there's people everywhere, everywhere you look. It was unbelievable. And, and that's kind of the best image I have is an innumerable company of angels. Everywhere you look, they're just everywhere. So far, there's so many of them, they're just specks. To the general assembly and church of the firstborn. Firstborn is the inheritor, the one who gets to be the CEO of the family. The son, the servant king. This is the servant kings. I would perceive that maybe they'd be right down on the in the in the mezzanine boxes at Reliance Stadium. Because they're a little lower than the angels on earth, but these overcomers, these these firstborn, they're elevated up. And they're now gonna be part of the better administration in the better world. To God, the judge of all. Well, we've got the words of God on Sinai. But God Himself's here in the heavenly Jerusalem. To the spirits of just men made perfect. This is this teleosis, oh I. This this completion thing that we've talked about all through the series. These are the ones that made it, that did endure, that kept their confession. And they're there. To Jesus, the mediator. What role is mediator? Priest. He's the better priest of the new covenant. Better priest, better law. And the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. Now that that line has confused me for a really long time. Why is he talking? What does that have to do? Awesome, 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 awesome. Abel, what are you talking about there? Well, I think maybe I understand it now. In chapter 11, if you want to flip back there, 
these hall of faith, the very first person in the hall of faith in verse 4 is Abel. Now this is what he's trying to get us to do here. The reason he's given us this awesome scene with this consuming fire God and this reliant stadium full of people who have persevered, who have overcome, who have reached the goal, is because he wants us to be part of that group. In chapter 11, in verse 1, he says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Now just think about yourself in a courtroom, and you're the defense attorney. And you say, Your Honor, I would like to admit for the defense this exhibit A, and you hold up two hands with nothing between them. What's the judge going to say? There's nothing, you're not, you're holding up uh, nothing. Oh, but Your Honor, this is the evidence of things not seen. Now, what's he going to say? You're right, yeah, I can't see that. But you can't admit this into evidence. Why? Well, you can't see it. We don't deal in unseen things in human courts. But this is what the essence of faith is. To consider it evidence, as good an evidence as you enter into courtroom and you can't see it. The substance of things hoped for. What does substance mean? You can touch it. You can feel it. What does hope for mean? You don't have it. You can touch it and see it, but you don't have it. It's evidence, but you can't see it. Faith. For by it, the elders obtained a good testimony. Before who? God. By faith. By faith we understand the worlds were framed by the Word of God. Here's that word again. Not only is it our profit when it's mixed with faith, it's also that which formed the world. So that the things which were seen are seen were not made of things which are visible. It's interesting that scientists have now decided that only 5% of what we see makes up, that the universe is made up only 5% by what we can see. All these particle colliders and everything that they're doing, they're looking for particles called antimatter, which are particles you can't see. But they can't make sense of the universe by what's seen. They're now looking for what's not seen, interestingly enough. By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. Now, we went through ad nauseum, the better sacrifice, right? Better sacrifice. They had the old sacrifice that didn't take away sin and the new one that did. The old sacrifice that had to be offered continually. The new sacrifice by Jesus that just had to be offered once. The old sacrifice that had to be offered continually because it didn't take away sins. And Jesus' sacrifice that took away sins once for all. So we made it really clear, or I'm sorry, the author made it really clear to us that absolutely, positively, without question... Jesus' sacrifice is better than the old sacrifice. And what old sacrifice were we talking about? The temple sacrifice. Is Cain's sacrifice a temple sacrifice? 
It's thousands of years before the temple was even thought of, or the tabernacle was thought of. So sacrifice is nothing new, but he offered a sacrifice that was, that was uh, accepted. It was a good sacrifice. So my theory, for what it's worth, in chapter 12, is that Paul is hammering home, it's a better sacrifice, it's a better sacrifice. Don't rely on a sacrifice that's not a sufficient sacrifice. Enter the Holy of Holies and take advantage of the one that works. Do it daily. And all of a sudden he talks about Abel, and just in case we think, oh, well, I'll do Abel's sacrifice, he wants to make sure we know, well, Jesus' sacrifice is better than that one too. See, Jesus is better sacrifice than anything you can think of. Maybe he's closing a loophole there. Because the priests are not given to us as a member of the Hall of Faith, but Abel is. So that's Jesus. Don't refuse him who speaks. Are you, if you're not scared when you, when you uh, read Hebrews, you're not understanding it, or you're oblivious. Okay? This, is, this is fear. We're four, think of yourself as a four-year-old. That may be a little elevated from where we actually are versus God. I mean, think about it. Uh, I talked about my son with the four-year-old, and he's a great father and does the same thing God does. He tries to give fear to his son so that he'll learn, but he does it in love because he's got the son's best interest at heart. And he doesn't discipline him for being childish. He disciplines him to learn the things that will benefit him in his life. The thing we talked about last week was lying. It's one of the Ten Commandments, right? Don't, don't lie. Lying destroys your own soul. If you can't tell yourself the truth, you end up schizophrenic. So, he, he told me last week he had another episode. And he caught the boy in exactly the same lie with exactly the same evidence, knowing that he had told the same lie. So he went to give him a spanking again. And the son put his hand back down by his bottom as before and then remembered, oh, that hurt a whole lot worse than the bottom did and pulled it out. And my son uh, said, well, I guess what he concluded from that was, I'll take my spanking on the bottom. Now think about that for a minute. What could he have done? He could have just told the truth and then there would have been very small repercussions. But that's kind of the way we are, isn't it? Then instead of just doing what we should do, we do what we want to do and then try to minimize the pain and the consequences and manage that. And that's because we are, to God, much further away than this four-year-old is from my son in understanding because his ways are so far above ours. We're children. We need to learn potty training. We need, we need to learn uh, how to tell the truth. And we have this wonderful Father who has our best interest at heart that's willing to chastise us and channel us into the right things. This teaching will continue in the following episode. Thanks for listening to the Yellow Balloons podcast. If you want more information on adopting a God-centered perspective, visit our website at yellowballoons.net. And if you have any questions related to what you just heard, we would love to hear from you. Please email us at contact at yellowballoons.net. 
Thanks for listening.